All right, go ahead. Revelation 21. And we're going to begin in just a minute. Last week, Rick uh, did Revelation 20 and talked about the book of life and the, the fiery pit. And we see the end of all humanity in those two destinations. And today we get to carry on with this recapitulation and we get to focus in on the new heavens and the new earth. And I'm really, really excited for this. I've asked Colsey to come up and read for us and she's going to read in two parts. So part one is going to be the first eight verses of Revelation 21. Uh, and then for part two, kids, that's where I'm going to need your help with that surprise third thing. Okay. All right. Here's Colsey. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Thank you. Uh, let me pray for us really quickly. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your, or this morning, this afternoon. Thank you for your presence here with us. And Lord, help me rightly divide your word for us now. Thank you for speaking. We love you. Amen. This passage is, one of the key passages of my life. I turn to this passage probably more than any other scripture in the Bible, this opening part of Revelation 21. And the reason why is this passage is about hope. It's about our ultimate hope. And I actually, about a year ago, was sitting down with a friend of mine who is not a follower of Jesus, and we were talking about hope. And I asked him, I said, what, what's your hope? What's like pinnacle hope? And he said, my biggest hope is that I have a good day at work where customers aren't angry with me and where I come home and I don't hate myself. And then as conversations go, he said, Daniel, what's your biggest hope? And I said, my biggest hope is that one day I'll be reunited with my two boys in heaven and I'll see them again and hold them again and they will be whole. Now, even just now, just the juxtaposition of those two hopes, it's almost ridiculous, isn't it? Just 
one is so temporary and one is eternal. One is inward, one is relational. And this isn't because I'm special, this is because of Jesus. And this passage is where I turn to for that hope. Every tear will be wiped away. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. But um, I want to break down this passage really quickly together. But what I want you to do is I want you to all put on your Hebrew ancient cosmology hats. Can we do that? Just, there we go. Thank you, (laughs) Natasha. I appreciate that. Kids, can you put on your ancient Hebrew cosmology hats real quick? Great. So when we look at this passage, we look at the opening verses of this passage, what we're seeing is a direct callback to Genesis 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You guys hear that same language here in Revelation 21? It's just like Genesis 1. Whenever we see these authors using the same words, we're meant to go back and bring those images with us forward to where we're at. So we are thinking ancient Jewish cosmology. We're thinking heaven. We're thinking earth. And then it says the sea will be no more. Now, actually, if you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and tap or flip to Genesis 1 with me briefly. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. is like this opening title, and then we see the Spirit of the Lord hovering over what the ancient Jews would consider chaos waters, darkness, teeming waters. And for the ancient Jews, the sea was deeply symbolic of chaos and evil and brokenness. So when Revelation 21 says, and the sea will be no more, it's not talking about there won't be any bodies of water in the new heavens and the new earth. It's talking about this ancient cosmic chaos that Yahweh has defeated. And we see throughout the scriptures, we see the people of God delivered through the waters over and over again. In one way, you see that God created the heavens and the earth. He's separating out the waters, the sea and the sky, and then he separates out the land from the sea, and then he places Adam and Eve in that place to deliverance from the chaos waters. And then if you keep going, you see Noah, and Noah's on the ark, and he's delivered from the flood. Jump ahead to Moses. He, as a baby, is delivered from the Nile. And then again, the entire nation of Israel is delivered through the sea. And finally, at the end of all time, the sea itself is defeated. Do you guys see the pattern here with our hats on? Okay, let's keep going. Go ahead and tap back or flip over to Revelation 21. And I saw, verse 2, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Okay, this is back to Genesis imagery. Garden of Eden. A 
according to ancient Hebrew thought, was a mountain. Kids, it was a mountain. Yeah, there we go. And here's why. Genesis chapter 2, a river flows out of Eden and splits into four rivers and goes north, south, east, and west. For something to have four rivers flow out of it, it has to be at a high place, a mountain. And we see from that point on, the mountain becomes a meeting place for God and his people. Noah and the ark delivered from the waters lands on top of a mountain. Moses encounters a burning bush on top of a mountain. Moses goes up into the cloud, into the fire to receive the tablets on a mountain. And so the mountain becomes this motif for a place where heaven and earth meet. And in that place, God and his people are together. And something really interesting happens that the mountain actually moves down into the valley in the tabernacle. When the people of God are camped below Mount Sinai, Moses goes, has to go up to God. And then the presence of the Lord, he gives them the directions for the tabernacle because God wants to dwell with his people. And so he takes this meeting place, the first one, Eden, the blessing mountain place of Eden, and makes it portable in a tabernacle because he wants to dwell with his people. The book opens, the entire Bible opens with Yahweh dwelling with his people, and then we broke the deal. We broke the relationship, and we were exiled east, out. And ever since then, as far away as we can run, God kept, kept bringing his presence back to confront his people with himself over and over and over again. And so we have the tabernacle. We have the presence of God with the people of God. And if this is really going to blow your minds, look at this. John 1.14. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Whoo. This whole story of broken relationship is brought back again full circle in the person of Jesus. The Greek word dwell there is the word for tabernacle or tent. You guys sense that? The ongoing presence of God chasing after his people is now crescendoing in the person of Jesus. And then here in verse three, we see it. Behold, the dwelling place or tabernacle of God is with man. At the end of time, the tabernacle is complete. We are fully or will be fully with the Father in that moment. That will be beautiful. Okay, so we've resolved this tension that's existed in the relationship between God and his people that's happened through the tabernacle from the mountaintop or the mountain down to the tabernacle through the person of Jesus tabernacling with us. And then at the end of time, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man as Jerusalem, New Jerusalem descends out of the heavens. Okay. Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and all God's people said, amen. What incredible hope. Has anyone experienced any pain this year? Any tears this year? Any sorrow this year? There's coming a day when all things will be made new. 
and every tear will be wiped away. This is the God of all creation who comforts us, who weeps with us, who acknowledges the pain of our current circumstances. And as we cry out, how long, O Lord, he's with us. And it's such a beautiful, magnificent, poetic picture of every tear being wiped away. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. What's coming is so magnificent, so beautiful, that it will make up for everything that has ever happened. Verse 19 of Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation is groaning. All of creation is groaning, not just us in the church, as we're experiencing our own hardships and pains. The entire world, the land itself, people outside the church are groaning because there's a deep sense in each of us that this is not how it's meant to be. That there's brokenness and tribulation and disaster and things that are not the way they're meant to be. But we are a people of hope. We are a people who look forward to the day when all things are made new and every tear will be wiped away. There's an author, he's actually local, uh, named Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book on heaven, and this is from that book. Nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We think that what we want is drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen TV, a new car, a cabin in the woods, or a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for, Jesus and the place we were made for, heaven. Nothing less can satisfy us. Amen? Okay, let's keep going. Verse six. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of water life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murders and the rest of the list, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The one who made everything in the beginning is now also at the end with humanity, with his people, making all things new. And notice when he says to the one who conquers, you guys remember that phrase from every letter to the churches in Revelation? To the one who conquers, and he talks about a reward, to the one who conquers. And here it is again, to the one who conquers. will have this heritage, and I will be my God, and he will be my son absolutely beautiful. Okay, we're going to go to part two. And kids, I want you to pay attention with listening ears as Colsey's going to read the next part of the passage, okay? She's going to be describing the city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And I want you to pay attention to the description. Can you guys do that for me? Let's see who's listening. Mountain. All right. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, 
and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and, and walls, that its city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring in, into it the glory, the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thanks, Kosi. This is a beautiful city. It's an incredible city. But did anyone notice where the angel took John to see the city descend? Took him to the mountain. That's right. As soon as we see that mountain language, we're meant to be transported back to this Edenic relationship, this Edenic blessing from Yahweh with his people and into the tabernacle. So we see that language, we look up, and this is actually one of the many times in Revelation where you hear something and you have one expectation and when you turn and see, you see something else. Like, behold, the Lion of Judah, and John turns and he sees a lamb that was slain. Or he hears 144,000, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, he hears them listed out. And when he turns and looks, he sees a great multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And here, the angel says, here, let me show you the bride of the lamb. And when he turns and looks, he sees a city descending from the heavens. And so with each of these instances, what we're meant to do is grab each of these images and have them overlap one another, coalesce over one another, and meditate on them. For example, when we're thinking of Jesus, are we meant to be thinking of him as a lion or a lamb? Yes. You guys see it? Somehow the bride of Christ now is represented as a city and she's beautiful. And this is what she's described as. Now, kids, I'm going to describe this city and then I've got a very important job for you with parental permission. Okay? You have to ask your parents. You get the nod. Okay? If you get the nod, you can do it. We've set up some chalk over here on the insides of these cones, 
I would love it if you would go and draw this city with chalk to the best of your ability, okay? And then all of us grown-ups can go and look at it later. Does that sound good? Okay, before you go grab chalk, get the parental nod, okay? Look around. My kids? Yes. Oh, she, she got grandma nod. That's fine. Oh, she got mom nod. Great. All right. Kids, this is what the city looks like. It's a cube. 12,000 stadia. That's about 1,300 to 1,500 miles. That's the cube. Okay, so 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way, then 1,500 miles up. Just for reference, it's about 1,000 miles between here and San Diego. Okay, that's the size, we're, scale we're talking about. It's got 12 gates. Each gate is made of a single pearl. It's like the biggest clam ever is <laughs> making these pearls. The walls are 144 cubits high, which is about 200 feet high, made of jasper. And the foundations are these 12 precious jewels. And the city is coated in gold. And written on the city in different places are the names of the 12 tribes and of the 12 apostles. All right, kids, you got all that nailed? Okay, I think they wrote it all down. I was watching. What do we do with these overlapping images? What do we do with this massive city? First of all, I think it's important to notice that each of these numbers is, rep- is a multiple of the number 12. 12,000 stadia, 144 foot, or 144 cubit high wall. And we have Israel and we have the apostles. This is a beautiful image of the coming together of the entirety of the people of Yahweh, Jew and church, all together in one city. And then here's, here's where, remember, we're thinking tabernacle again, right? We're on top of the mountain. We're expecting tabernacle moments, encountering God moments here. There is one, only one other place in the entirety of the scriptures where we find a cube coated in gold with these jewels. Does anyone know what it is? It's the Holy of Holies. The center of the tabernacle. The place where God's presence dwells. That in the tabernacle could only be entered by one priest once per year. That Holy of Holies now has become the entirety of this gargantuan continent-sized city that you and I make up. The people of Yahweh become the Holy of Holies, where his presence resides and where he lives and all his power dwells. No wonder, I mean, suddenly verses 22 through 27 make so much sense. Why would you need a temple inside the Holy of Holies? We're there. And those 12 gems were the gems that were inlaid on the ephod of the high priest as he would enter. Also, onyx, rarely found in scriptures, also found in Eden. All these connections, all these ties. So what does this beautiful passage have to do with you and I? I cannot emphasize this enough, that you, right now, with whatever problems you're facing, with whatever joy or sorrow is in your heart, you are the tabernacle of God. This is 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? 
and that God's spirit dwells in you. This crisis of relationship is already being resolved by the person of Jesus and by his spirit in each of us. And you may not feel that way. You may look at me and say, Daniel, you don't know my life. I'm full of worry, anxiety, stress, temptation, gluttony, gossip. I'm full of these things. How could the tabernacle be within me? And here's the beauty of life with Jesus. Remember, we open this passage with the old heavens and the old earth passing away and Yahweh creating a new heavens and a new earth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Our trespasses are not counted against us anymore. We're in. We're a part of that city coming. But it's not counted against us. And so right now, today, as tabernacles of Jesus, we get to go out into the world with his ministry of reconciliation. Because that's now our ministry of reconciliation. Because from the beginning of time, Yahweh wanted to dwell with the people. He wanted to live amongst them. And when we screwed it up again and again and betrayed him again and again, he kept pursuing us. He kept pursuing you. He kept pursuing me. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he dwells in you. And we bear his ministry of reconciliation. So now, as tabernacles, we get to worship. And this week, we get to join our king in his ministry of reconciliation. Would you all stand with me? And don't forget before you go to go check out New Jerusalem in chalk in the parking lot. Let's pray together.